Something special about Wednesday nights, amen? You miss Wednesday night, I think you miss a blessing, that midweek, that midweek blessing, amen? Uh, it's just uh, good to be recharged in the middle of the week for sure, Brother Cochran, very much so. If you have your Bible, want to go to 2 Samuel chapter 11 with us, and we're going to start in verse 1 and read a little bit down through there. Uh, this past Sunday, we talked about David, and David as a young boy, and we're going to talk about David as a grown man, amen, over here in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Nate used to tell us that when he was about a year and a half old. He said, I'm a grown, I'm grown, I'm a grown man. And so uh, he really did uh, at that age and on up. But um, uh, just, again, just thinking about all these just wonderful thoughts that God's put on my mind. This message today is simply entitled what God said in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17. Uh, it says, thou shalt not covet. And that's a pretty strong statement that God made. It's the 10th commandment that was given to Moses. And uh, we're going to take a look at it here just a little bit and how that affects our life. Um, I think that's one of the things, I guess, with all of us as human beings that affects us the most. We are typically not satisfied with the things that we have. Is that right? The Bible teaches us to be, you know, to be content with the things that we have. But a lot of times we're always looking for something better. It's kind of like we always say the grass is always greener on the other side, right? But what they fail to tell you is that grass is growing on a septic line. <laughs> Amen? But it's greener. But it, uh, it's not, not good. And uh, so I think it's the same way in our personal lives. You know, we're always looking for something different. We talk about Adam and Eve. You know, they were always looking for something better when they had everything that they could possibly want. David here is the same way. You're going to see this in 2 Samuel chapter 11 to the point that Jesus, or God rather, even said to him, I have done all these things for you, uh, David, and I would have done even more. Remember when he said that to him, and it's concerning what we're going to talk about here today. So again, we're always looking for something greater, something better, the next, the next thing. We're programmed that way, right? We're programmed to always look for something better than what we've got. Now, in the spiritual realm, that's a good thing, amen? God placed that in us to never be satisfied with right where we are, that we should always be striving to get more of God, to get closer to God, to understand there's more of him than what we know. Uh, but Satan also uses that, right? He uses it on the physical side of us, the fleshly side of us. And because he knows we're wired that way, he uses that side to cause us to, to look for something different or something better, at least in our own eyes, which then, of course, we know the Bible says leads to destruction. So I want to talk about this, this, this commandment given by God here, thou shalt not covet, and take a look at, uh, there's a lot, it's, it's pretty deep when you look at a lot of things that, that it encompasses more so than probably what you're thinking. So uh, I want to read to you Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17, the full verse here where God gives this commandment to Moses. He said, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. That was the commandment given to Moses for the children of Israel, understanding again, how we are wired, right? That's why God says this to him. It's not that God don't want you and I to have the better things in life, right? And sometimes that's preached and taught in the Christian world or the Christian realm, right? That we can't have better, that we can't have more, or that God wants us to be poor and humble, right? Well, he does want us to be poor and humble as it pertains to the spiritual side, right? That we should be meek and lowly and humble. But as it pertains to uh, the, the things of this world and, and the nice things, the things that fall in line with his plan, he wants us to have the very best, right? Because we're his children. How many of us would not want the very best for our kids? 
In fact, I would say that's what's wrong in this country today. We have spoiled our kids. Amen. We want our kids to have greater than we did, right? So my grandparents wanted their children to have more than they had, and then their children wanted me to have more and my sisters, and then now me and my sisters want our kids to have more, and it's going to continue that same way. Well, what makes us any different than God, right? The Bible even tells us that, right? That, you know, a father, if a father, earthly father wants to do good, right, why would God not want to do good for us as well? Right, He does. God wants the best for us. It's because we fall short of his plan that we live beneath the blessings of God. Amen? That's what it is. And I'm not talking about Learjets and gold cufflinks and all that mess. I'm just talking about the blessings of God, right? And if that's what God's blessing is on you, that's good too, I guess. But, but we, got, we got so much more that God has for us. But again, because we take our eyes off of him and we begin to look at worldly things, it causes us to live beneath the blessing. So let's look at that here today. Thou shalt not covet, according to Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. And let's jump over here to 2 Samuel chapter 11, where David, again, is a full-grown man here, right? Verse 1 says, It came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. <clears throat> You can circle that. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. David, in verse 3, sent and inquired after the woman who she was. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her own house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. David sent to Joab immediately here, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. In verse 7, When Uriah was come unto David, David demanded of him, how Joab did, how the people did, and how the war was prospered, made small talk. David said to Uriah, go down to, the house, to your house, thy house, wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. He had his blessing. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and went not down to his own house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down into his house, David said to Uriah, Camest thou not from the journey, thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down to your own house? And Uriah said unto David, in verse 11, The ark, right, or the presence of God, and Israel and Judah, God's children, the totality of his children, abide in tents, and my lord Joab, right, who was the leader of David's army, and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields, he said then, Shall I then go into mine own house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As thou livest, he said to David, and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. He was an honorable man, was he not? David said unto Uriah, Tarry here today also and tomorrow, and I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. David's whole plan here was to have Uriah go home and him and his wife conceive, or 
he thought they would conceive and the baby was already there, that Uriah would think it was his. This was the whole plan. When David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And at even he went out to lie on his, on his bed with, his, with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his own house once again. He continued to get him to go. It came to pass in verse 14 in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab when he seen, right, that his attempts here were going to fail because this man was more honorable than David. Amen. It appears at this moment anyway. When he seen that wasn't going to happen, he writes this letter to Joab about Uriah. Verse 15, he wrote in the letter saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him, leave him there that he may be smitten and die. Pretty cold-hearted, wasn't it? And it came to pass, when Joab observed the city, that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. Again, it speaks to the man's character. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David. And Uriah the Hittite, the Bible says, died also. Thou shalt not covet. Right. Let me jump down to verse 26 and 27. We'll get right in this message. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him this son. But the thing that David had done did what? Displeased God. Amen? Displeased God. And I will go to say to you, when I read that, I'm thinking... Which one of the things that David did displeased God, amen? Not just the fact that he, he conceived a thought in his mind before he ever done it. And you know what Jesus said. If you've even thought it, you've done it, right? Then he carried out the act knowing that this woman was already married to, um, to Uriah, the Hittite. And then he tries, he's lying and he's, trying to, he's, he's conceiving these, these awful thoughts in his mind to try to get to trick Uriah. He gets Uriah drunk, right, and does all these things. Then he has Uriah put to the forefront to be killed. And you read that and go, which one, Lord, are you mad about, right? Well, all of the above, right? You can check all of the above. So when you think about what God was saying to Moses here, you can really see why he told him, right? Because a little leaven, the Bible, as you've heard me say before, and, and God is saying his word, leveling at the whole lump, right? So what starts out is something very small. It's kind of like the, the, the oyster, right? The oyster produces a pearl not because that's what it does, but because it's irritated, right? That sand gets in that oyster, they tell me, and because it irritates it, right, it just stays in there, and the oyster's constantly moving around trying to get the sand out of the oyster shell. Right. And by doing so, what he's doing and, and, and over time, whatever he secretes and whatever else gets in there, and by him trying to get that out, it forms that, that pearl that you and I look at to be so valuable. So, again, much like the oyster here, when, when we begin to covet, these little things start out very small, but then they become very irritating, right? And then it's like my dad said, if you tell one lie, you got to back it up with another lie, and you got to remember that lie to tell another lie, right? And before you know it, you... You don't, even know, you don't even know which lie you're telling, right, because you've done told so many, right? So it kind of starts out small and simple, and you feel like there's nothing, there's no harm, no foul, but at the end of the way, we see what's happened, right? Now, not only has David caused this man to lose his life, he not only did that, he took the man's wife, right? Not to mention, could you imagine, 
what kind of character David lost with the children of Israel. It's not talked a lot about in this story, right? But you know he lost a lot of character because everybody in the, in the whole area knew, right? Most of them knew who this lady was, right? And you know word kind of got out some point in time what David had done with Uriah, right? So again, it started out something very simple, what his eyes saw, and I'm reminded of what we teach our children to see. Be careful, little eyes. Come on. What you see. Be careful, little ears. What you hear. Is that right? Why? Because you can't unsee what you see, and you can't unhear what you heard. Right? And when it gets into us, right, that's when it begins, Satan can begin to fester these thoughts and these, these, uh, these ideas because he sees our interest level, right, be peaked. You can rest assured that as David saw Bathsheba on that evening on the rooftop, Satan saw David. Amen? He wasn't the only one looking, right? Uh, and when you see this story, there were three that looked. David looked at Bathsheba. Satan watched David's response. And God watched the whole thing happen. Amen? So there was three sets of eyes taking place on this particular day. Thou shalt not covet. How does it happen? When you look at this story, the first thing that you see with David here was he was not doing what God had told him to do. This was a time of the year that the kings, the Bible said, was to go out and fight the battle of God, right, to fight with his people. David wasn't there. He sent Joab for the battle, and he stayed back, right? It's the first thing you see. We find ourselves not doing what we know we should be doing. In other words, we take a break on God. Amen? We just relax. Take a deep breath real quick and just exhale. Right? We just take a breath. We just sit back, take a break, right? And when we take a break, when we let our guard down, these are the things that start happening. This is why the Bible teaches us in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 6 that we should, we should be vigilant, vigilant, <clears throat> diligent. We should pray. We should, right, seek God constantly. Put on the whole armor of God. Make sure that we're ready. Be, be sober-minded. Is that right? That's what he teaches us. That we shouldn't be sleeping, we shouldn't be slumbering, right? There's no time, right, to take a break on God. The moment Satan is waiting on you and I to exhale, amen? He's waiting on us to do that. He's waiting on us to take a seat and sit down. He's waiting, us to, waiting on us to walk away from the battle and say, I just need a break, right? I, just, I, just, I, I need that little bit of me time. You've heard me say that before, too, because I'm bad about that. We all want a little break. But it's in the break moments when Satan's going to be at his strongest. He's not going to come at you when you got a sword in your hand and a shield in your hand and you got on the whole armor of God because he knows he, is no, he has no effect, right? When you and I put on the whole armor of God, we're able, as the Bible says, to withstand the fiery darts of the enemy. So no matter what he throws at you, it has no effect. He's waiting on us to turn and show us, or show him, our back, which is not protected, as we've talked about many, many times. Or he's waiting on us just to sit down, take that breath, and say, hey, I'm just going to take a break. I'll get myself together here, and I'll get back in there. That's when he sees his moment to seize that moment, right? When we find ourselves not doing the things that we know we should do for God, this is when this becomes an issue, right? This is where coveting comes in. This is where it takes place because he knows we're weak. Otherwise, we'd have never sat down, right? If you're strong 
And we were talking about Good Friday, uh, Friday shopping, not Good Friday, Black Friday shopping. Well, you shop on Good Friday too. But Black Friday shopping, you know, those folks that are out there to get up at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning and get in line, you got to be strong, amen? Strong to stand in them lines that long, or at least you used to, right, when they were really, really long. You had to be strong physically, mentally, emotionally, and you better have Jesus in you, right? Because you're going to want to throat punch a half a million people that day, right? Because they're going to cut you off and take that last cabbage patch doll that you wanted, right? It's going to happen. So it's not for the faint of heart. It's not for the weak, right? So it's the same way here. Those coveting moments happen when you and I stop and sit down because it shows a sign of weakness. That's why the Bible tells us when you've done all you know to do, sit down. That ain't what he said. When you've done all you know to do, he didn't say sit, take a break, take a breath. He said stand and watch, right? See, see the salvation, Lord. Stand and focus, right? Don't lose your focus. When you've done all you know to do, he didn't say blink. He didn't say exhale, breathe in and exhale. He said stand, amen? Stand, and that's where he says standing, having your, and he begins to talk about the whole armor of God. Is that right? So the first thing we see how all this coveting happens, it starts out as that grain of sand. As I said, it starts out very simple, and this is that grain of sand. When we find ourselves not doing what we know we should be doing, we take that break on God, Satan enters in, right? Brother Tim Dixon used to say all the time, if you give Satan an inch, Brother Ron, you'll make him a ruler in your life. Amen, and that's true. You can't give him an inch. He's waiting on it. This is why the Bible says that he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's going to and fro seeking whom he may devour. Right? He's looking, waiting on somebody to blink, to exhale, to turn, to sit. Right? Those, 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 are, all, those are all characteristics of somebody who is tired or that's weak or who has given up. Right? One of those. Well, pastor... <clears throat> I'm tired of not having enough money to take care of my family and my kids, so I stole those pork chops from Piggly Wiggly. To that, I would say at least steal the ones that are cubed, right? Don't buy them center, don't steal them center cuts. If you're going to jail, get something good, right? So that's what we'll say. We get tired of the fight, so we're just going to go ahead and we're going to give in, right? Or, you know, I just got tired of this, or I got tired of that, or I got tired of fighting this. I got tired of being alone. I got tired of be, being told I'm wrong. I got to, all these things. You know, the, you, know, you know what we do. Those are all signs that Satan's waiting to hear, right? He's waiting on us to show that weakness, and then he's going to step in. So you see this with David. David finds himself sitting back. He's the king. After all, he's got it good. Everything's been going well. We as Christians do the same thing to God. Everything's going good, right? Everything's going right. We got no problems right now. Everything's going good. Man, I just, it's just, it's all, it's all just blueberry, blueberry pie and, 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 and whatever you want to put in there. Mac and cheese, it don't matter, whatever it is. Right? Everything's going great. So instead of continuing to press forward, we stop. Is that right? We just take that break. And of course, unbeknownst to us, there's other eyes watching. The second thing you see here is when this thing happens, when, when coveting takes place, how it happens is not only do we find ourselves not doing what we know we're supposed to be doing, taking that break on God, but when that happens, Satan presents this opportunity 
And because we're not where we're supposed to be, and because we have let our guard down, as we said, we fail to see the danger and find ourselves ensnared. Is that right? He's going to present an opportunity, right, because he sees that we're weak, and he's going to try to show you something that's going to bring you comfort, strength, peace. Right? He's going to show you something that's going to bring you whatever it is that you're searching for. So if I'm weak and my, and my weakness, I've sat down because I'm tired of fighting, let's say financially, then he's going to present something to me that has nothing to do, right, with I didn't say I was tired of whatever, whatever, whatever. He's going to hit me with something that's financial, right? He's going to present something to me that is not good, but it's going to look like it's the answer for me financially. You've heard me say before, for instance, if I'm, if I, alcohol does not affect me. You can place that stuff in front of me and you can say what you want to say. I, I've drank one half of a lime daiquiri in my lifetime, period. It's not that I didn't want to. I just never had a taste for it and didn't like it, right? But you can look at me and tell that I have other problems with coveting, right? There are certain things you place in front of me and I'm going to chase that thing. For instance, if you want me to run in a marathon, get you a big old double cheeseburger and get in front of me on a bicycle and me and you'll win the Boston Marathon, I'm going to get the cheeseburger, especially if I'm hungry, right? I'm going to go after that. But a bottle of Jim Beam, I'm not going to chase after that, right? So Satan's not going to come at me and do that to me. He's going to bring something else to me. And i got other issues too, not just cheeseburgers. Y'all know that. I'm just using that for a good example. Whatever those situations are, so when, when we, coveting takes place, when we become weak and we take our eyes off God, we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, and Satan's going to present an opportunity to you, he's going to present what he says to you is the answer to your problems, Right? That's what he's going to do. He's, again, he's not just going to throw things in front of you that has nothing to do with that. He's going to put right in front of you what he knows you're going to reach out and grab. Right? That's what he's going to do. So we see this here with David. David steps out on that roof. He looks across out there, and he sees Bathsheba. And because he's the king, he said, I can do what I want to do. I'm going to take that young lady for myself. And you know the, the rest of the stories. We read it just a few minutes ago. So the opportunity was presented. You've heard me say many times, if you give us an opportunity, right, you put that in front of us um, by itself, in and of itself, you're probably not going to fail, right? It's, it's not going to happen, but you put, you, you put that in front of us, and you put, you put our weakness in front of us, you put our situations in front of us, you get us where we're already sitting down, and then you present that opportunity, you're probably going to give in to it, right? You're going to want to give in to it because we find ourselves weak. We're not where we need to be with the Lord. If we had on the whole armor of God, then we would just command Satan to be gone and it would be over. But instead, we begin to entertain Satan. And this is what David did. David had every opportunity here. Well, number one, he should have been in battle. But since he wasn't, he still had an opportunity to turn his eyes from what he sees and go back in his palace. Right? But he doesn't. He entertains this opportunity. And this is what happens, right? We begin to entertain the opportunity and then coveting turns into other broken commandments. Amen? Would you agree with that? It begins to do things, right? For instance, thou shalt not bear false witness. Right? David was lying to Uriah. Thou shalt not kill. David killed Uriah. Shalt not commit adultery. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. Shall I go on? Right, there shall have no other gods before me. David became his own God, made his own decision. Is that right? 
shall have no other images before me, graven or any other kind of image. Bathsheba became the image that he was chasing after. You can just keep going, right? So coveting is such a dangerous commandment that we really have to pay attention, especially in the world we live today where nothing is withheld from us. Everything in the world that you and I, where you and I live today is at our fingertips. If you've got a cell phone, you know what I'm talking about. Amazon, you can order anything you want in life. It'll be delivered to your doorstep. Amazon's got it. They got just about everything you ever want. If you want to know the answer to something, right, you can just Google it real quick. You have the answer. Years ago, you'd had to have encyclopedias. I mean, you had to go to the library. It was a, it was a task to figure out something, right? And then you didn't know if it was even up to date anymore because that thing was written in 1977. Is that right? But today, everything's right here, right? We are living in Satan's world. There's no question. He's the prince of the air. Man, he, he, he's loving it, right? And he knows how we are. And we're that way, right? If I want it, I'm going to get it. I can afford it. If I can't afford it, there's credit. Amen? We can get anything we want in this life. And Satan knows that as well. So how it happens, we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. Right? We take a break on God. Then Satan sees that weakness. He presents the opportunity. And when he presents that opportunity, because we've let our guard down, because we're weak, because we're so needy, right, because we become our own gods, we begin to break all these other commandments, and then we begin to reach out and, and entertain this opportunity. How does it happen? Because we've separated ourselves from God and his work, we begin to be led by what? Desire rather than conviction. We now begin to be led by our own desires rather than the conviction of God. This is what happens when coveting, covetousness takes hold of our hearts. We begin to chase desires, fleshly desires, worldly desires, and not, not being, led, being, being led and following, right, those convictions of the Holy Ghost or of God as he directs us. I can assure you today that the same God that was David's God, that is my God and he's your God, so I can assure you that when I begin to do something wrong in this life, I feel the conviction of God. David felt the conviction of God, but he chose to override that conviction because of his weakness in that moment. Amen? He gave in to this weakness because he was not where he was supposed to be. He knew he was supposed to be doing the work of God, right? All of us here today, every one of us, whether you're saved or not saved, all of us are supposed to be about our Father's business. Amen? Whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God, I don't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change his word. Right? All of us were created by him and for him and for his good pleasure. Is that right? And, and all of us are to follow his command. And we know his command is that we go into all the world and teach all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. In other words, to disciple people, to go get them, to lead them to Christ, right? To be a blessing to them. That's the work of the Father, right? Jesus done those things, and that's what we're supposed to be doing. Amen? So when we find ourselves in this situation, David had an opportunity, right? He had an opportunity here to turn away. I'm sure God convicted him the same way. Had he had been where he was supposed to have been, this never would have happened. If we just do what God tells us to do, we don't have to worry about some of these things coming our way. Satan may tempt you, but you've got the whole armor of God on, amen? You can see him. See, the whole armor of God's kind of like x-ray vision that Superman had, right? You don't have to guess who's behind the wall. Man, Superman just looked through that thing and he could tell you who was over there, right, because of the power that he had. 
When you and I have on the whole armor of God, Satan can't disguise himself. We see him for who he is. Amen? We can see him for who he is, and we just cast him away because we know what the end of his way is. But when we take off that armor, because it's heavy, and it's too heavy a burden to carry, and we sit down, now we don't have that power to see him. Right? Because we're looking through our eyes rather than through God's eyes. Right? So we see this coming and we think, oh, this must be God's blessing to me for all the hard work I've put in. Right? And you think to yourself, well, there's no way I would think that, would you? That's just how Satan works. Right? It's not, it's not any, I can use me, right? It's, it's, not a, it's not an unknown thing that I'm trying to drop a few pounds. I need to drop a lot of pounds. Okay? So it's very easy for me, during my birthday, this, or not, yeah, birthday and, and, and during pastor appreciation and all these things since I've been trying to lose weight, I get more gift cards for food than I've gotten in a whole year. <laughs> Amen? And I'm thinking to myself, boy, ain't God good, right? He's just rewarding me for all this weight I've lost, right? Well, he probably is just being nice to me. You guys are really nice, but you see what I'm saying. Right? It's kind of like you've heard me tell that story before. That old boy that was losing weight. Some of y'all have heard it. Most of you heard it. But those of you hadn't just bear, or have, bear with me because those of you that haven't, you'll appreciate this. But he was trying to lose weight. He lost a few pounds and he was heading into Greenville on 291. And he went down that road and he topped that hill. Y'all know the hill I'm talking about. He got on top of that hill and he could look down there and see that hot and ready sign on. Hot now, ready as he topped that hill. And as he went to go down the hill, he began to disrebuke. Satan. He rebuked Satan. He said, oh, get the hints from me, Satan. Get the hints. Now, he kept driving, right? But he rebuking Satan. And he got down to the bottom of the hill, and he said, well, wait a minute. He said, this might be God just trying to reward me for the weight that I've lost. He's just going to reward me a little bit for that. So he changed his prayer from rebuking Satan to talking to God. He said, now, Lord, if this is your will and this is from you, let there be a front row parking space open up right at the front door, right in front of that hot ready sign right now. And he said, y'all know what? After the 15th time around that parking lot, that thing opened up. <laughs> Amen? Huh? <laughs> yeah? Huh? <laughs> but that's what we do, right? We, we, we find ourselves in this situation away from God, and because we're looking through our own eyes, we can't see the deception of Satan, and we just think it's just a blessing from God, all the while knowing it ain't no blessing from God, Right? Well, pastor, I didn't know it. Baloney, right? Let me tell you why I say that. If you're a child of God and you know the word of God, you know that what's being offered to you is not right. Amen? For instance, do you really believe that Eve didn't know that that fruit was wrong? Of course she did because she said it back to Satan. Amen? It wasn't like, you know, she, she told him that she wasn't supposed to be eating of it. But she ate it anyway. Amen? So we know, right, I mean, Satan is deception. We can't see it sometimes, right, because we've sat down on him. We're looking through our own eyes. But there's still something in us. We remember the word, amen. In that moment, we remember. And, and, and I, would, I would almost bet you, if I was a betting man, which I'm not, I'd almost bet you that every one of us in here, that if we've sinned against God, we knowingly sinned against him. We had a moment in there where we knew we shouldn't be doing it. Right? And we gave in because of the weakness in our lives and because our co that covetousness hit our hearts. And then that word's going to come back and it's hitting us, 
but we're trying to get it out of there quicker than it comes in, right? Or we're trying to justify what we're doing, right? Like the guy driving around the parking lot 15 times. We're, we know that it ain't, look, the first time he went around and it wasn't open, he knew God wasn't in it. Because if God had been in it, it would have been open when he pulled in the parking lot. Right? So 15 more times around, he still knows God wasn't in it. Right? And we know that too. How many of you in here today that are full grown, that's why I told you earlier that David was full grown, are full grown children of God that when you sinned, you didn't know it? Huh? All of us knew it. We all know when we do things we shouldn't do. Right? Every one of us. Because the same God that's in you is in me, and in me is in you. And I know he convicts me, so I know he convicts you, and vice versa. Right? So we know it. But because we've allowed that irritating grain of sand to get in there, we just keep it in there and just keep entertaining it, right? Smoothing it and smoothing it and smoothing it and adding to it, right? All the while, it's killing us. Poor little old, there ain't a lot of room inside that oyster if y'all ever looked. There ain't much room. You get a big old pearl in there, man, and this, this the thing got crowded. Right? His life has just gotten miserable. That's what happens to us. For a little while, we can hide the grain of sand. Come on, somebody. For a little while, it's irritating us inside. I can tell you that when I, when I, was, when, when, when I was serving the Lord and, and, and doing things that I knew was not right, when I got saved and I found myself going back doing things I knew I shouldn't do, man, it was irritating to me. I would sit in church and the preacher would be preaching and I, I've told you many times, I just, I just knew that Christy's mama was telling this guy everything I was doing. And I didn't know how she knew it, right? I was just convinced Christy was telling her, she was telling him, and I was in a mess, right? That thing was eating on me every single day, and it was in there, but right, I just kept going. I, kept, I overrode it, right, because it wasn't too bad yet, but as time went on, it, it grew. And as it grew, I became more and more miserable, Right? Just like, the, just like this oyster does as well. David was no different. You'll see in a little bit in this story. We won't get to it, but if you keep reading this story, you can see where David became very miserable about what happened. The pearl, that little grain of sand grew very quickly. And before you know it, it was revealed to him, his situation, <clears throat> by the prophet Nathan, if you remember that correctly. So how does, how does this coveting take place? What happens? How does it... How does it happen so quickly? How did it happen so fast? How did David's life go from so great to so wrong so fast? Those three things, right? We take a break on God. We give in and become ensnared into the opportunity presented to us because of our weakness. And because we separate ourselves from God, we begin to be led by our fleshly desires rather than godly conviction. Let me ask you this question. I just made sure I would put this down as God gave it to me, so I just want to read it to you. Bear with me just a second. Have you ever looked back at a time when you, when you knew you made a choice to do something and you knew it was wrong and realized the effects it had on others later? Right? You ever done that? You look back at a time after all the smoke cleared and all the fun was over and that grain of sand turning that big old pearl and you didn't know what to do, how to get it out of there, Right? You look back and you realize the effects that it had, not just on you as the oyster, if you will, but on everybody else in the sea around you. It's in those moments, see, we, we couldn't see, or at least I couldn't see. In that moment, I couldn't see it at all because I was blinded by my own, as I said to you, desire. In the moment, when it was first happening, I couldn't see it. 
David had no idea. He, had, he couldn't see what was going to take place. All David saw was this lady that he wanted and he was determined to get her and the, and the joy that it was going to bring to him. In that moment, he had no idea that this son was going to be taken by God for punishment for what he had done. He had no idea that he'd have trouble with his children. After that, Absalom would try to kill him, right? He had trouble with Absalom, right? He had, he had difficulty from that. He, he had no idea in that moment what this was going to do to him. See what I'm saying? And it's, that's, that's kind of what I'm asking. You know, we, when you look back, when David looked back after it was revealed, revealed to him by Nathan, he could see the residual effect that it had not only on himself, but on others as well. But we couldn't see it. He couldn't see it because we were blinded by fleshly desires rather than godly conviction. In fact, we convinced, or at least I convinced myself, that I was right and that everybody else was wrong. Amen? When you, when you take that break on God and coveting takes place and we reach out and we commit to it and then all these other things begin to happen in our lives, right? we continue in that because, again, remember, we just think it's, maybe it's just God's will. You ever anybody say that to you? Somebody will look at you and you know that, that they know what they did wasn't right, biblically speaking. But yet the words coming out of their mouth don't make sense. Right? It just must have been God's will. That's never going to line up with what we did. If it's sinful and it's against God's word, it's not God's will. Right? That's, again, because of the covetousness that's in our hearts, we're blinded by right, our own fleshly desires so we can't see God and we begin to believe that it's God giving it to us. And isn't that what Satan wants you to do? Because he wanted to be who? Come on now. Y'all with me? Can you see why God said this covet here is, is a big one. They're all big. This is a big one, right? You can just see how Satan manipulates this thing. We convince ourselves that it's right and everybody else is wrong, right? Oh, they just, they're just not happy for me. You ever heard anybody tell you that too? You're just not happy for me. You're just mad because it ain't you, right? You're just, you're just mad because I'm prospering in life. You're just mad because I finally got something good in my life. Is that right? Come on now, I ain't, I ain't the only one that's felt like that. I've had people tell me I was wrong, and I thought, well, you old huzzy. Right? You're just mad because I'm doing better than you are. Right? And that I ain't sitting back here miserable no more. Right? I'm having a good time, and you can't stand it. <laughs> How you know it ain't God's will for me to be in this situation? Well, because it is written. Amen? And you know it and I know it when I make that kind of statement. I know it when I say it, right? If I've learned anything in my 54 years of existence, let me give you what I've learned. If most of the folks around me, especially the ones that truly care for me and love me, are concerned that what I am doing is harmful to myself and the ones that, that love me, and I'm the only one, right, that says it's not, then it probably is, right? If I continue to be the common denominator in the problem, my dad always told me, son, you're the problem. Is that right? If there's a common denominator every single time, I was taught in, early on in math class 
that that's the common denominator, right? This is where you go back to. This is the nucleus. This is where it begins. This is where the rubber hits the pavement, right? The buck stops here, whatever you want to call it, right? There's, there's an epicenter. Everything starts somewhere, and if, 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 if I'm trying to convince myself that everybody that's coming to me and telling me that I'm wrong because they love me and they're concerned about me, and I keep telling them, y'all just don't understand, person after person after person after person, guess what? Especially if the people love me, then I'm probably wrong and they're not. Amen? You with me? See what I'm saying? This is what Nathan did to David. He came to him and said, hey, this situation, gave him the situation. David was upset about it, right? Oh, my gosh. You know, he started telling what ought to happen, right? And then David said, or Nathan said to David, you're the man, right? Common denominator. You with me? It's a common denominator. So <clears throat> make sure you, that's one thing I've learned in 54 years of existence, probably the only thing I ever learned. But, but if I'm always the one, I'm always the one trying to defend what I'm doing, and everybody else that loved me around me is trying to tell me that I need to, I need to change, I need to do what I know is right and all those things, I probably need to stop and listen, right? Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. We used this here a few, a few weeks ago in a sermon series, and I see where uh, the, the youth department has used it as well. This is what Solomon, David's son, said. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Amen? Above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart. We learned the heart, guard your spirit, right? Guard who you are in Christ, because everything flows from it. Amen? Guard your heart. Don't, don't take off the armor of God and sit down. Look, let me say it this way. David here, really, he really sacrificed a lot right there, not even knowing what he was doing. He really put a lot in jeopardy over one moment. One moment. He could have lost his kingdom. He, he could have lost his, all of his family. He did lose some of his family. He could have lost a lot of things, but the greatest thing he, could have, he lost would have been the anointing of God. The favor of God. But thankfully to David, God doesn't go back on his word. He said in his word, right, that that call of God is without repentance. God doesn't repent or change his mind that he calls us for a particular task. But even, though we, even though we change our mind on God quite often, he doesn't change his plan. Right? So he anointed David to be king. And he intended for David to be king, but the chastisement and punishment of God is a real deal. It doesn't mean that we're not going to be punished just because God intends to keep his plan. Right? He keeps his plan, but punishment comes. He said he chastens those he loves. And as one who's been chastened by God many times, I can assure you it's painful. It leaves scars. Amen? It leaves scars. But David could have lost everything. He could have, he could, David could have lost his life, right? Because this was an anointed man of God who did this, which was against God's word, and God didn't play around with sin. Amen. He could have took him out of there. But thank God for mercy. 
And see, it's the same way with us. I think, I don't think, I know, again, based on God's word, this is why God said to Moses, tell the children of Israel, right, these things. And one of them was not to covet because we'll find ourselves far away from God and, and being not about his business. And if we're not careful, we can be ensnared in the things of this world and lose that relationship. Guys, listen. There ain't nothing in this world, nothing. I don't care how pretty it is. I don't care how, how, how expensive it is. It, it don't matter how comfortable it is. It doesn't matter whatever we want to put in there. There's nothing in this world worth blinking or sitting down on God on. Nothing worth losing your relationship with Christ. Nothing, right? Again, this story with David... It's a great story. There's a lot in it. But that's the thing I took away the most out of it. He was willing to sacrifice everything for one moment.